All right, on today's episode of the Wii Sports Quarantine Chronicles, I am joined by Peter Mendelssohn. He's a freelance sports journalist with bylines in The Athletic, Sportsnet, CBC Sports, among many others. Peter, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Lucas, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. I'm excited. Well, it's my pleasure, and you're the third guest of mine that, is, that has attended Centennial College's graduate sports journalism program, so I'm always happy to speak with people that have gone through the program. As someone is speaking to you, I'm currently in the program, so it's always nice to have the, the alum coming back and, and sharing their experiences. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very cool to, to be speaking with you, and it's always a pleasure talking to you know, someone else <laughs> with uh, similar teachers, similar probably some funny stories we can share. So uh, awesome, awesome to be here. Do you have a funny Malcolm Kelly story right off the top? Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll say, uh, I don't know if I should say this one, but I'll say, I'll, I, hope, I hope he doesn't mind. But there, there was, um, we were on the bus to Florida and we were, you know, we'd been on the, on the bus for about 22, 23 hours I think we were about half hour away at this point and um, you know, we're in a rest stop and I go to use the bathroom and I see Malcolm who's basically clean shaven, but he's, he's shaving. I'm not sure why, <laughs> I'm not sure why he's shaving. We're half hour away from the hotel and um, I don't, there's no shaving cream on his face, just kind of using a razor and you know, it's, he's, you know, it's Malcolm, you love him. So I don't say anything and we leave the bathroom around the same time and I see like a trace of blood kind of fall coming down. I don't remember if it was his neck or his cheek. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to say something, right? It wouldn't be fair to him just to, to, <laughs> to walk to the, the rest of the class, you know, full, full, full of blood on his face and neck. So I told him he needed to go back to the bathroom. But uh, I mean, it's, if you know, like that's, that's a bizarre story. But if you know Malcolm, it won't surprise you at all. Uh, yeah, no, it won't. No, 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 it won't. I'll, I'll, I'll say this uh, story before we get in, into your career. Um, we were in Florida as well, and unlike you, we took an airplane uh, to Tampa, which, which, which of course, a little bit quicker. And, and, and uh, you know, I'll say my condolences for, for you and those who had to uh, have to travel that uh, bus ride. Because, boy, I don't think I would have gone to Florida with the, with the whole bus. But, but anyway, um, we, we get to Florida in our hotel. And like, just randomly, he does this like shadow ball, like just like that. Like he, and, and for those of you listening, like, like you know, he, he's like pitching, like shadow pitching. And then there's, yeah. there's, there's these two, um, you know, two Floridian women who come in and like, they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, like, yeah. is, and I would probably be the same way, Peter. Like if I just walked yeah. into a hotel, been a long flight it's been you know i've been traveling a long ways and just like seen that but like it was and then he went into this like whole discussion about the meaning and impact of, of shadow ball so it was very malcolm-esque and uh very enjoyable and it definitely laid the groundwork for a successful trip nonetheless and of course for those of you listening malcolm kelly is the program coordinator and founder of uh centennial college's graduate sports journalism program which peter graduated and i will be soon in the stories that you've done, like you mentioned, let's say for the athletic, Shane Corson in his battle with mental health, Keon Clark's journey to sobriety. 
they definitely had a lot of trust in you in order to reveal your to, to reveal a lot of personal stories about themselves and i think for journalists that have those different world experiences for you it's law for others it may be learning about economics politics i mean i recently had stephen brunt on the show for the 50th episode of the we sports quarantine chronicles and before he went into sports he was the arts intern at the globe and he also covered news and i feel like having that knowledge just makes you a more well-rounded sports journalist where sometimes these real world social issues integrate and intersect with what's happening in sports. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I think, I think the more diverse your backgrounds, um, the more helpful it'll be to any, to any one field. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was lucky that um, Shane Corson, you know, you know, certain, certain athletes have been willing to open up to me. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I can give myself some credit, but at the same time, um, you know, obviously Shane, uh, he still didn't know me, but he was willing to really open up. And I think, you know, on, on his end, uh, he really wants to, you know, to, to help reduce the stigma towards mental health, help at least one person that's suffering. So, um, you know, him having that desire that made him more willing to open up uh, to me. But I, I mean, I guess my advice to young journalists is, um, and you know, I, I you know, my, my, the other students at Centennial were great, but sometimes when we were conducting interviews, certain people, I, I'd see a basic interview and I was kind of, um, you know, my rationale is you really have to prepare for the interview, right? Like all, all, um, you know, read every Google news story there is, uh, on a subject I'm interviewing just, um, just because if I, th I think the combination of just hopefully being, being, being nice during the interview and obviously being extremely well-prepared them realizing that, you know, I, I, I really know what I'm talking about. I've, I've, I'm well-researched on the subject, you know, after some time, if we have a good rapport and they, they see that I know what I'm talking about, it's easier to ask more difficult questions, um, you know, and a better chance that they'll be willing to, to open up. So, I mean, I think, I think preparation for the interview is everything. And, and um, yeah, you, you have to ask good questions and tough questions and, um, you know, obviously, like a feature story. Uh, if I have a couple of weeks to write it, I have more time to prepare for the interview. If you, if you're, you know, if you're have to file within a few hours, you can't necessarily read multiple, you know, read every story there is on a subject. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of kind of rambling. I'm not, no, <laughs> not sure. no, I mean, not no, sure, no. not sure what point I'm making. But yes, yes. Uh, you're sounding like I'll just uh, say I'll, I'll say I'll just say yes, whatever that. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. The answer is always yes. You're yeah. you're sounding like our uh, Centennial Prof Shy Davidi from Rogers Sportsnet because he could, yeah I don't know if you had Shy but we um, we, we had Shy this year and, and and he of course taught a class on interviewing and, and beat reporting and one of the most important elements of any interview whether it's broadcast or print is being able to connect with the subject but also be willing to listen. And I know that for me, like when I first started interviewing, like I would have a list of questions, right? Like 10, 15 questions. I would follow along the questions and it just felt, it felt robotic, right? Cause they could, you know, elaborate on an answer and then you just completely ignore it. Like, like they could say, well, I lost my job. I lost something. And then if you completely ignore that, you as the interviewer aren't doing the whole interview process justice. And I think that, for 
interviewing any athlete or any subject, you got to be willing to listen and you got to be willing to connect. Now it's easier said than done because it takes practice. It takes reps. I mean, I've done many of these interviews for my podcast. So from the first one to this one, I'm a lot different of an interviewer, but it is very important because I feel like sometimes you may know something about someone for a story before going into the interview, but the whole interview may change your angle or look on a particular story or topic. So always willing to be adaptable and willing to listen to the interview subject will just make you better as an interviewer. I, Lucas, I think you have so many, so many great points there. And, um, I, you know, I, I can tell you from my experience, um, you know, I, I, I had a, cause I, I was really trying to establish myself in the tennis world. Mm-hmm. So I, at the Rogers cup, I had a, I had a sit down interview with John Isner. I had a one for a, for a feature I was writing, which, which, uh, you know, which, which was cool as a young journalist. But, um, you know, listening to the transcript, um, you know, he, he told me something about uh, his relationship with his, I'd ask about his family, he told me something about his relationship with a couple of his brothers. And, you know, I just went on to the next question and, and you know, listening to the, uh, you know, listening to the audio uh, of the interview, I, you know, I was frustrated. I was like, ah, that, that would have been a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to ask more and elaborate on that. And I, I think that's so important. I think that, uh, as you get more reps, it's something you get better on. And I think your points about being adoptable um, is, is so important as well. Uh, for, for Shane Corson, for example, um, I mean, I spoke to him about his dad, but my, my rationale was to kind of, um, you know, a, a big part of my story was, um, in, in my mind, was to, to see if, you know, head injuries, all the concussions he's had, you know, did that impact and did that impact his mental health, but he, he didn't really want to go down that route too much, but he was more willing to speak about his father. So obviously, you know, my, I, I adopted and, and he really opened up about his dad. And I mean, same, same with uh, when I, I spoke to um, George LaRock a couple months ago, um, you know, he, he told me that, you know, all, all his, his issues with his father and mentally the struggle of being a fighter and how he needed counseling for a couple of years after his NHL career concluded. And I, I, um, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm, if I was the first reporter he told that, but, uh, you know, obviously when he tells me something like that, that's going to become a bigger focus of the story and you have to adjust the interview. So sorry to, to conclude, I think your points about just not having a, just a rope, you have an idea, but be able to go with the flow and be adaptable and listen is so, it's so important uh, for a journalist in an interview. So you go to Centennial College's graduate sports journalism program. Did it feel strange a little bit to be in a class? Because given that you were, you know, five years as a personal injury lawyer, and then now going into this field where I'm sure you were surrounded by, you know, people that have, you know, maybe covered sports already, reported have, you know, dabbled in certain, you know, elements of journalism before going to the program? Um, in, in terms of being older or in terms of, in terms of um, maybe having less oh, yeah. experience? Yeah, like, like, you know, like, for example, like, I mean, for me, like, I'm in a class right now where it's mainly like a younger class, like people my age, people that have either just finished undergrad may have taken a year off to sort of dabble in sports. But for you, like you've already, you had done one career and are now doing another career. So I'm just curious about what that was like for you being in a class 
with potentially younger people as someone with a little bit more experience? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I mean, people, yeah, people are people. Uh, it's, that sounds like something Tommy Wiseau would say, people are people. But uh, um, no, it, it was all right. I mean, I think, I think the Florida trip was, that, that might have been the highlight because I feel like people really bonded. Mm. People really bonded there. And, um, you know, I was 32 at the time. There's no reason a 32 can't be, year old can't be friends with uh, 23 year olds, 24 year olds. Um, man, these are, as I'm saying these, these are, these are not, not the most intelligent points. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think, you know, I think it maybe, maybe at times just being a bit older, but I mean, I, I was lucky. I had a Bobby Colorado. He was 30. He was only two years younger than me. Uh, sorry, Bobby. So uh, nice to have someone close to my age. And there, there were people who were in their late twenties. So it, it it, it was it was all right um i mean uh you know it, it it was it was a good chemistry and i think uh i couldn't i tried not to overanalyze the age age gap i mean it is what it is no i mean good for you i mean that's you know you know someone that's you know not bothered by those uh by those factors and you know again you know you know it doesn't really you know just shows you i think the power of the program that you know you could have people that, you know, are, are younger who go into the program and have success, but then you have, you know, relatively more experienced people that could go into the program and also have success as well. So it can definitely appeal to uh, both ends of the age spectrum. Yeah, yeah, no, ab absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think, I think there are people early thirties that have done the program in the past. So, I mean, it's, it is, it's, uh, it was, it was okay. Hey. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's okay. What was the biggest skill that you learned while you were at Centennial that has helped you in your journalism career? Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed like people like John Chidley Hill and Shai, Shai Davidi. Um, you know, I think, well, obviously I've done more writing, so any, anything writing based. Um, I mean, I remember talking to Shai Davidi and um, you know I'm I'm an obsessed Raptors fan right like I've been an obsessed Raptors fan my entire life and um, I remember speaking to him and, and you know for me to you know to write to write a Raptors piece I mean it might it might be easier for me to there's so many people do that it might be easier to take he kind of suggested you know find a different angle take a different path right and I've um, you know I, I I've tried to to write features, features dealing with mental health, find unique stories, maybe make more of a name for myself in that way. And um, so I think that was good advice from him. And uh, maybe I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm an obsessed Raptors guy, but maybe I, I was a bit intimidated, right? There's so many great Raptors people writing articles. And, um, you know, so I, I wasn't sure that, you know, writing basketball related articles, even though I've written some, what was necessarily you know, the, the best route to uh, establish myself in the industry. Yeah. And like, I think, I think finding the unique angle there is the really good point because so often people, you know, chase the simple, you know, game story or chase the, the obvious narrative, whether it's, you know, from last year, the Raptors winning the championship, it might be about Kawhi Leonard, right. You know, winning, his second championship, but there's so many stories from last year's championship. I mean, maybe Serge Ibaka is a really good story or Masai Jiri or, 
you know, Chris Boucher on the bench. I mean, something like that, like, that isn't so obvious. It can be a really unique story. And I think that a lot of outlets now, especially with limited budgets for freelance or, or to give to their writers, I understand that there's a need to, you know, get more traffic and get more, you know, clicks, given the, the click nature environment that we're in. And the big names certainly drive that, like a Kyle Lowry or an Austin Matthews, et cetera. But I just think that there is an audience out there that likes those off-the-beat, unique angle stories. And whether it's for Sportsnet, whether it's for Sports Illustrated, whether it's for The Athletic, people will read that. And I think it just makes you better as a journalist that you're able to write those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with, with that said, I mean, I'm still, you know, if I write a story for a bubble, Location, I'm still trying to get a ton of clicks, right? Like I'm mm. still trying to find a, a unique angle that might not be the biggest name, but I mean, um, you know, if I write a story for the athletic, I wanted to get them, you know, I want to find a unique story that will get them subscribers that, you know, might convince them that I'm, I'm, I'm worth hiring. Right. Like, cause mm. it, it is a business. And if I, um, you know, for sports, then get clicks or athletic get clicks and subscribers, um, you, you know, Oh, like that's that 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 is still the goal, right? Like um, and I and and I think at the same time there there have been some stories and smaller Canadian athletes that I think would be great stories, but uh, I haven't um pursued them or pitched them as much just because I you know even though it's a really unique story I know it's not going to get the clicks it needs, um so I mean the the business aspect is is important, um so yeah so <laughs> I think I think just to add to your point I think unique like off off the, off the beat kind of story that will still do well and hopefully get my name out there is is important and i i think my rationale too um if you know has been to find unique stories that recently retired athletes just because um you know i'd love to speak to demar DeRozan and you know have him tell me about um you know his childhood in compton and and um, everything he saw and everything he witnessed and how that kind of impacted his mental health growing up. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right. So, maybe, maybe, but uh, I think certain, you know, certain like George the rock is, is yeah. retired. Um, you know, I, I know that he's generally willing to be more candid. So flying, finding a retired big name athletes that I know is more willing to be candid during an interview that has more time now that might be more open. I mean, that's kind of been a strategy, right? Cause I, I need, I need to speak to someone that's really going to open up. Um, uh, so that's, that's kind of been my, my, my rationale as well. But uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. Sometimes I, I do feel, okay, should I, should I pursue more current athletes, right? Like maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit that I'll be able to, to speak to them and get them to be, you know, as, as candid as I need them to be to write a good story. I want to get into your freelancing because you freelance for a lot of really high profile outlets from The Athletic, which we've talked about, Sportsnet, CBC Sports, Vice, among others. And I know that freelancing, certainly for a lot of young writers right now, is often the gateway to a full-time position somewhere, given, you know, if they allow full-time positions. But Sometimes you have to stay in that freelance sort of mode for, for, for a few years in order to get the reps, in order to build your portfolio. When did you start to feel 
comfortable in the pitching process and the success rate of your pitches? Because I know that for, from personal experience, like, I don't know, for me, I was writing, but it took a long time in order for me to sort of feel comfortable in getting pitches to be successful in writing for some high profile outlets. It's, it's very, it's a, it's a great question. It's, it's very tough and you're, you're going to either hear no or not hear anything back a hell of a lot more often than, than you're going to hear yes. So um, one thing that's important obviously is, is to have some kind of relationship uh, with the editor um, if, if possible. And uh, I mean, I think, I think that's helped me. I think, um, I mean, with, with the athletic, for example, um, I think, uh, you know, Caitlin McGrath, who's, you, you know, I know she was on your podcast. She's awesome. She, you know, sat down with me for coffee for like an hour and a half, um, you know, just of her own free time. And I think she liked some of my tennis stuff. So she'd, uh, I think said, recommended me to Dan Robson, who's, you know, incredible features writers, written best-selling books. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was able to meet him for coffee and, uh, you know, start start pitching stuff towards him, and I I, I think I, I think one thing leads to another. I think what helped me was you know I, I sent him some pitches, and he's awesome. But I, you know I hadn't been able to get a story on the athletic, but uh, I, I even before I pitched it, I did the interview with Keon Clark, mm. and I think I I emailed Keon in 2018, didn't hear back, and then in 2019, uh, last year. Um, I emailed, I messaged him in the morning. I didn't hear back. And then at like 6.30 PM before I was meeting a friend for dinner, you know, he asked if I was free and I just did the interview with Keon right then. And <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I, I, I'd written some questions down, but I wasn't totally prepared. But uh, you know, if you heard the audio of the interview, there was a lot of jumping around and I'm also trying to message my friend to, uh, you know, let him know I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make it or I'm going to be late. But I think being the obsessed Raptors fan, I was, or I am, I was able to, to do a good interview. And then um, I was able to go to Dan and, and in terms of a pitch, say, um, you know, I've spoken to Keon. He opened up to me about his mental health, his issues with alcohol, his time in prison, how he's, you know, how he rehabilitated himself in prison, how he's doing now. And that's a much better pitch um, mm-hmm. than let me write about Keon Clark, right? So he, he helped me get that story in Athletic. And then having written hopefully what I thought was a decent story for the athletic I was able to 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 you know to get get the Shane Corson story and um yeah I mean I think I think a combination of meeting people which you've done a great job of uh, of of doing through the podcast and perhaps outside I don't know but meeting people and also just impressing them with work Mm -hmm. um if you can meet someone and impress them with stories there's a better chance that um they they will approve your pitch it's it is tough right you have to be positive you know you you work you work really hard for you work you work really hard in a pitch and you either don't hear back and gets rejected right it's it's it is it does take a toll on you mentally but you just have to stay positive take pride in just being productive you know results or not and just keep keep plugging away but uh yeah connections are good and and just you know I, adam stanley um mm-hmm. Said, I think who who taught a freelance class, he he said, you know, if they say no, I, I always say thank you for, you know, I really appreciate your time. Hopefully we we can work together in the future. Just be nice, right? Be likable. Try to meet with editors. Um it's it's uh 
do what you can. So. No, for sure. Like, I think you, you make a lot of great points. And I think relationships in this industry is so critical because I know that, you know, certain writers may get pieces over other writers just because the editor has a relationship with them. They know what they are. And look, your money is tight these days. Resources aren't abundant. So they want to give those resources to people that they can trust in order to do a really good job. And I know that for me, in my experience, like, I got my first story published on Sportsnet this year, and it was on a Canadian football player, Neville Gallimore, who got drafted to the NFL. And I know that, you know, for me, like I had been trying to, you know, submitting pitches to different people for about one to two years, like just sort of, you know, on and off trying to follow up. And then, you know, but finally, uh, Jeff Lowe, who's an associate editor at Sportsnet, does the football stuff there you know really like my pitch idea for this football player that got drafted and unfortunately I couldn't get to speak to Neville but I convinced Jeff like look I could speak to his coaches I could speak to a defensive coach that's you know worked at all levels who worked with Neville personally I could speak with his high school coach here in Canada and I think that sometimes like you obviously getting the subject is so important and for your stories like you know, we've talked about it off air. Like, I don't know if the Shane Corson story would run without Shane Corson's voice. But luckily, at a place like Sportsnet, like, they would run the story without Neville Gallimore's voice because I demonstrated I could go and get different sources that knew Neville and that could add that insight and perspective. So, basically, a long story short, there are different ways to get freelance pitches. And I think building relationships will increase your chances to get a story on a on a big outlet but not necessarily because it just depends what they're looking for at a given time and you have to throw paint to a wall a lot hopefully sometimes it sticks with a really good story yeah yeah i i absolutely it's not it's not easy right like 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 you said and 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 kudos kudos to you for finding you know despite not not being able to to speak to the main subject, you know, speaking to other sources and getting a story on. So great, great, great work, Lucas, uh, in terms of that. But it's it's not easy, right? It's it's there's not a ton of money for freelance um, at a lot of places. Um, so, I mean, you you may have to find your own way, you know, to, you know, write write a blog, you know, build. And I and I, I and I'll I'll say this to other people. I think something I kind of regret because um, I I think I've written some nice pieces, but I haven't put a you know, I haven't put a ton of effort into, into building a social media following. And, um, you know, I, now I kind of, you know, cer certain people I worry, does that, does that not look good that I haven't, I haven't really made a huge effort. I made the effort to write good stories, but I haven't tried to build a Twitter following. Um, and, um, you know, when I, I spoke to someone at the athletic, I think a rationale is, you, you know, if you have a lot of followers, they can just, then get, they can get subscribers by monetizing, your followers and my kind of rationale is I've written stories that even though I don't I haven't tried to build a lot of followers uh, I've written a lot of stories that have you know my, my recent one on um, Bernie Saunders you know Sportsnet and Tara Sloan and Steve Dangle and Jamie Campbell and like a lot of people retweeted it so if it's a good story you know it'll it'll get retweeted it'll get good numbers right even if I haven't even if I don't have a lot of followers so I I mean that doesn't worry me too much but I I do worry in terms of getting hired or in terms of the way it looks that I I don't have I haven't made the effort to, to get a lot of followers so I, I think that is important so you know so young journalists like it's a, it does matter <laughs> I think so 
um, you know, so it yeah. is good to build, build, build your social media uh, channels. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm always very torn with social media to be honest with you, Peter, because I know that like it is a requirement and while like I am, you know, getting to a level that, you know, and cultivating a follower, like, I know I could probably be better, but like, I just, I don't know, like it's so hit and miss social media, as you know, like, like there's so many good accounts that I follow that like, are like, how are you only like this number? Like you deserve to be a lot higher compared to some others where it's like, you know, they have a lot of followers, but it's just like weird stuff that they're tweeting. Right. So I feel like in time, like I know like a, a lot of the sports net personalities, like a shy Davidi, for example, the reason why like they have the followers is because like they're doing a really good job. Like they've been in the business for a while. They've established that credibility and they're not there to like be unprofessional. And sometimes I feel like there's like a, you know, a disconnect sometimes like the amount of followers that you have, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you adding to the conversation? Right. And, and if you're just sort of, you know, and look, there's different accounts that have different purposes and I'm not trying to criticize different people. Like if that's your brand, you go for it. It's a free world. I'm just saying like, sometimes be, be, be careful because you may have a lot of followers, but like, if you're just like tweeting a lot of like weird stuff, it may not fly well with employers. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much it matters, like the numbers you have, hopefully, hopefully in terms of getting hired, hopefully for me, it's not so integral. I mean, I, I thought, um, but who knows, right? I remember being at the Rogers cup and I, you know, I was doing features on Sam Query and John Isner. Um, you know, I had one-on-one -on -one interviews with them and so, you know, someone in the media room kind of looked at my follower account and, remarked about it and like you know to to me like you know it's outside of it being you know obviously it was a rude thing for him to do but like I haven't yeah. you know I've tried to write good stories I haven't really tried to build my following in that in that sense um but maybe like you know if he's making comment like that it, it it does matter but I mean I I I've seen journalists you know outstanding journalists with with different publications that don't have big numbers so I mean, hopefully it doesn't matter too much, but um, I mean, it, it is probably something I should try to uh, increase just because, you know, may, maybe it's, if, you know, if, if, if anyone, you know, I, I'm really proud of some of the stories I've written, but if someone's going to look at my follower number and make a judgment of, of me based on that, um, then, then maybe it is something I should work on. Just, just, just for fellow young journalists out there, you know, may, maybe it is something that that uh, is is relevant. No, of course, always be willing to grow and improve your craft. I think that's so so important. Final couple questions for you, Peter. Uh, really appreciate you the time you having having you on today. How I mean, you know, for for some you know young journalists, young writers who are listening to this show and are and are trying to sort of figure out the whole you know mastering freelance we've obviously talked about you know the need for relationships and handling the word no a lot but once you sort of get the hang of it and like you're starting to get pitches and stories out there how do you sort of know when to transition between like just writing every so often to making freelancing an actual career and how do you have any advice on how to like manage being a freelancer, like just in terms of like how many stories you have on the go, 
and different tips and tools that you use to sort of manage what you're writing and, and what you're putting out there? I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I think in terms of making freelancing a career, I, I know that Adam Stanley, um, I think he, he gave a great freelance class at Centennial and I think he's been successful in making it a career. Um, and people are, you know, people are, have been able to make a career out of it. I'm kind of, um, I'm doing some legal document review on the side just because the freelance money, to be frank, isn't, isn't quite enough. So I think it's, it's difficult to, to make a career out of it. I'm not saying it can't be done. Um, but, uh, I mean, listen, a, a dream would be to be, you know, to, to be a feature writer at a publication. So if I can, you know, if like, and I'm, I'm trying to write as many, you know, nice stories, mm -hmm. uh, in, in my mind that, that, that make an impact that do well analytically to, to get my name out there. So, um, I mean, in, in, in terms of making money. From freelance, I'm listening. There are some publications that pay that that pay more. Um, I mean, um, you know, I think the, the the biggest tips are to to be kind, write good pitches. You know, write good succinct pitches that aren't too long. That um, you know, just think if if you own Sportsnet or whatever the publication is, if you read it, is this something that would reach out to you? Is this unique? Um, because you know, they're, they're, any, any site is going to prefer to go with their stuff. So this has to be something that really sticks out to them, is really powerful. And maybe you've already have the interview, right? Like maybe you already um, have great quotes from someone unique that will make a great story, right? That, that, that's important. But uh, yeah, just be persistent, you know, take pride in sending each individual pitch because if you get too emotional with rejection, um, or not hearing back, it'll it'll weigh on you too much. So write a couple of pitches and be proud of the fact you sent two pitches, whatever the result is, and make connections with editors, right? Make connections with editors, write good pitches. Sometimes you can reach out to athletes and they'll they'll give you an interview before um, before the story is uh, going to be, you know, been agreed to be published, and that will increase uh, the efficiency of your pitch already having the interview. So I, I think I'm kind of rambling. I don't, I don't, uh, but hope, hopefully somewhere in there, there are a few, a few good tips uh, for young journalists. And, and finally, I, I know that you write a lot of really great features and I'm just yeah. curious for you, what, what is one or two things that a young writer should consider in writing a really good feature? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure about one or two things, but, um, I mean, you have to do a good interview and get good quotes, right? You have to, um, do a lot of research on someone. Maybe there's some, one of the stories where it would have been really interesting if, you know, the athlete elaborated on something that he didn't, maybe you can ask that, maybe you can get him to elaborate on that subject matter. But I mean, I, I, I think the interview was so important and getting really good quotes uh, where ideally the athlete opens up about something in his life is important. And for me, I know once I have the good quotes, you know, my, my first draft isn't always great, but I'm confident in my ability um, to, to rewrite and make it flow well and have, you know, have, have good rhythm. 
Um, but uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, practice your interviewing skills, get a good interview, because if you have the quotes, then you have the, then that, you know, you know, Keon Clark saying, um, you know, something like, man, I, I was smoking cigarettes at halftime. Who does that shit as a professional athlete? <laughs> uh, you know, if you, if you have funny quotes like if you, or, or powerful, you know, emotional quotes, um, whatever it may be, then you should be able to find a way to make it an engaging story. So uh, I think my biggest tip is can do your research before the interview. Don't be afraid to ask tough questions, not right away. Let them get in the flow of the interview. But you want to be unique. You can't just ask standard questions. You have to get them to open up. And the more, you know, the more research you've done, um, will come across the athlete and he'll respect um, your knowledge of him or her. And he will then, he or she, sorry, will then be willing, likely be willing to be more candid and be more open, especially if you ask, um, you know, a, a, a tough question. Peter Mendelssohn. He is a freelance sports journalist. You can find his work at the Athletic Sportsnet, CBC Sports, among other places. He's also a graduate of Centennial College's graduate sports journalism program. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today on the We Sports Quarantine Chronicles. Lucas, you're doing great work. Keep it up. And uh, it was awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I look forward uh, to continuing to, to continue to follow your podcast. All, all the best, man.